0: Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 15. If you're new with us this morning, welcome. My name is Chris. I'm one of the elders and the pastor here. We've already had a wonderfully full morning on this holiday weekend. I want to say thank you to all of those who have family members and others who have sacrificed for our nation. It's a very important time for our country tomorrow as as we remember them, those that gave their lives the ultimate sacrifice that we could live in freedom. We're grateful for our country. We're grateful that we get to live here. And so thank you if you're one of those that has impacted uh, by the loss of life or someone that gave their life. Um, we've been looking for the past six weeks at how God's people are weird. <laughs> Stop looking around. I see you. see you looking around at some people. Uh, we're all called to be peculiar. And... Uh, That's exactly what we are. We're peculiar. We're a different kind of community. And we are to stand out, to be set apart, to be, as the Lord says, be holy as I am holy. And that's what we're called to be. And it's all based in Peter's admonition and charge to us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a peculiar people, is what the King James Version says. But really a more precise is that we're peculiar because we are God's own special possession. We belong to God. And it is in order that we might proclaim and declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and brought us into a marvelous light. And that's what makes us peculiar. A lot of other things make us peculiar too, but we're not going to talk about that. We've been looking at how we stand apart. So what I've been sharing is how we're to be a community. And the first time we, the first week we talked about how we're to be a community of loving relationships in a culture of expressive individualism. And then the next week we looked at how we're to be a community who follows Jesus into a culture of ideological idolatry. Then we looked at how we're to be a community sent with good news to a culture lost in itself. And then on Mother's Day, a day that will live in infamy, we talked about sexual immorality and how we're called to be a community of holiness in a culture where anything goes. And then last week we looked at how we are called to be a community of peace in a culture of outrage. I've talked to several people that said that afternoon, God tested them on this very message. There was a lot of rage, <laughs> maybe even a little fight or here or two, just occasionally, but we are this morning looking at how we are called to be a community of abiding in a culture of optimization. There is a, uh, there's a writer that wrote an article and called Improving Ourselves to Death Her name is Alexandra Swartz, and she wrote that we now live in an era of personal optimization. Uh, We're inundated with books and podcasts and TED Talks and even sermons that all tell us how to make better habits, focus on what's more important, give attention to our mental health, and maximize productivity. Swartz writes this. It's no longer enough to imagine our way to a better state of body or mind. We must now chart our progress, count our steps, log our sleep rhythms, tweak our diets, record our negative thoughts, then analyze the data, recalibrate, and repeat. Sound familiar? I'm sorry, Siri is telling me something right now. Oh, yeah. She's checking my heart rhythms. so yeah, I'm good. But this code for personal optimization, is just so exhausting. It's so tiring. And it's not really what Jesus has called us to. He calls us not to optimize our lives, but to abide in him where our lives become fruitful. And there's a difference between optimization and fruitfulness. One is primarily individualistic, where we are responsible for maximizing what we have. And fruitfulness can only come by abiding in the one who gives. And there's a big difference. I've been reading a book by John Stark. It's really impacted me the last couple of weeks. It's called The Secret Place of Thunder, Trading Our Need to Be Noticed for a Hidden Life with Christ. He writes this. Our world doesn't distinguish well between a productive life and a meaningful one, between efficiency and significance. Instead of productivity and efficiency, Jesus uses the language of bearing fruit. He also cuts across the whole impulse that many of us have towards performative living, performance. Where we somehow think that the most important things of life are to be performed before others. And, and also that our happiness will only come from being who others think we ought to be. <clears throat> Social media has only exacerbated this problem. Because if I can't perform the life that I really want to have, I can at least represent it in such a way that people will say things like, I want your life. And that's the thing that every influencer or Instagrammer or TikToker that's out there, maybe even be reeler that's my new social media craze. I can't wait to get be reeler in the middle of a sermon. That's going to be a fun day. Y'all don't know what it is, but you'll know. But it's, if we can't live the life, perform it, then we can at least represent as if we did. And there's a sickness associated with that and it's caused sickness in all of us. In those that see such attainment such or attainment in that, that is something that never fulfills and it never rewards. When Jesus said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, there's real purpose to it. He's explaining that the most important things about us are hidden. They're not out for everybody to see. What we represent and how we present ourselves and how we post about ourselves is not ourselves. And the most important part about ourselves is hidden and it needs to be hidden in him. That performing for the eyes of others or even for ourselves Can't equal the hidden life with him. We're not called to perform or produce. We are called as his disciples to abide and to be fruitful. Can I get an amen? Oh, good. Just making sure you're still awake. Of course, we know where this comes from, and I had you turn to it, John 15. So if you're there, you can look with me. John 15, verses 1, and we'll read through verse 9. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Oh, goody. That it may... Oh, Goody's not in that translation. That's my addition there. Uh, yeah. he, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Already... you can do nothing. Wow, Jesus, thanks for the vote of confidence there. But he's not wrong. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. I was over at Truman and Elizabeth's house the other day, and Truman is quite the gardener and uh, enjoys it immensely. So if you've not been over there, you need to go see it. It's just a sight to behold. And in his backyard, he's got all sorts of vegetables and cabbages and different things that are planted. And it's, it's, like, it's industrial almost level. It's really incredible. And, uh, and he's got these vines that are growing. And Noah was showing me that they're actually clusters of grapes that are beginning to form. And in the And in the imagery of the Bible, and what's something that these people that were listening to Jesus would understand is that you can't grow grapes if you're a branch separated from the vine. It's just kind of simple. I know it's basic, but how many Christians are trying to do just that? Living apart from the source and thinking they're going to be productive and produce. They won't. Think about all this happening for these listeners of Jesus. This is right in the middle of the discourse that Jesus is having with them on the night that he was betrayed. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and even 17 is the prayer in the garden. He is downloading to them very critical, important things. It's it's of utmost importance. And and it's the night before their world is going to collapse all around them. He's going to be arrested in just a few hours He's going to then be led to a kangaroo court, crucified, and within 24 hours, he's going to be put into a tomb from the time that he's saying this. You talk about head-turning kind of moments. And very soon after that, of course, he's going to rise from the dead, walk out of the tomb and surprise everybody, including the ones he's talking to now. And so they are going to have a head-spinning involvement with him over the next several hours, days, weeks, and about six weeks before he ascends to the Father. But in that time, he's going to commission them, these very ones he's talking to tonight, he's going to commission them to actually go and be his representatives in the world and to, to take the gospel, the good news that he has delivered Take it and make disciples of all nations and then care for those that would be added to their number because of it. And my goodness, how people have been added to that number, including the ones of us sitting here today that belong to Jesus. Yet despite all that they would be responsible for and all they would have to give themselves to, Jesus is not talking to them about productivity or efficiency. He's not drawing up some strategic plan that he's unfolding for them. He's not not workshopping a 20 year vision for them. He spends the time washing their feet and talking about the Trinity and how they will bear fruit if they will remain in him. He didn't push optimization. To get the most out of what they had, he told them to remain in him so that they could receive what only he could give. Fruit that remains. Now, we know what this fruit is. Paul alludes to it later in his his, uh, letter to the Galatians. He says, the fruit of the spirit, that which gets produced in us by abiding in the vine is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are not things you just get to go to the store and pick up an extra copy of so that they can add to your life. Those are things that must be worked into your life. You don't get to just staple them onto your life and then have them. You don't get to add them to your shopping cart on Amazon. It has to be worked into you by you remaining attached to the vine. It only happens when we abide in him. That word abide is the Greek word meno. And it means to remain, to stay, to continue. In the first 11 verses of chapter 15 of John, Jesus uses that word meno, abide, 10 times, which always makes me think it must be important. Maybe not always but I think in this case it is. He is saying not only that we should abide in him, but that he himself abides in the Father. So it's to give us an example of how we're to do it. He's not telling us to remove ourselves. He's telling us to remain with him, to root ourselves, to ground ourselves, to center ourselves in him. In Jesus, live where he is, reside there, continue there, remain there, abide there, don't leave. I don't think he meant that we have to run to the hills and join a monastery, though that might sound interesting to some of us. Uh, Yesterday, I was with Brian and a few others, Brian Emmett, Pete's dad, who's here with us this morning, And Brian was telling us about one of the early church desert fathers. And I just had to laugh, I had to go look it up. This is a guy named Simeon the Stylite. Here's some images, supposedly, of him. I don't know how they got those pictures. Uh, I don't know that they had the iPhone back then. Because he was born in uh, 390 AD. And at 13 he was a shepherd in Syria and one morning he could not take the sheep out because there was snow on the ground and so he went to church and the preacher was talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and speaking of the Beatitudes and he was captivated. He was changed by it. And so he at 18 joined a monastery but he was so zealous that they asked him to leave because he was too holy for them. Imagine that. His zeal they couldn't keep up with. His ascetic aesthetic lifestyle was just something they could not keep pace with. He became a, a solitary hermit, suppressing his physical desires to liberate his spirit through ascetic practices, giving up one time, many times he would stand so long he would fall over as he worshiped. He was known for every time during Lent of doing without food and water for all 40 days. And when he came out, they said, surely it's a miracle. But his holiness just kept attracting lots of people to him. (laughs) He's trying to get away and they won't let him. They hunt him down, trying to find his wisdom and his secrets and to pray for them and to discern what he is doing so he grew so anointed by their constant demands that finally he climbed atop a big, huge pillar that was 60 feet in the air and had a platform of about six feet in diameter and stayed there. That's where he lived. For 30 years. They would come up to him sometimes to get his wisdom he'd allow for them in the afternoon they had a ladder they'd hoist food up to him just the bare minimum he had this practice for 30 years now i see some of the parents sitting here right now you're thinking that doesn't sound so bad i've heard the noise in your house but i i don't know that that's what jesus is calling us all to to go sit atop a pillar We have some really tall trees on the property if you want to try. We'll set you a little bird nest up there and you can give that a try. I propose that that's not what God has called most of us to do. Abiding in Jesus means we have to learn how to live in two places at once. Where we're not only living each moment of our day But right in the middle of each moment of our day, we're learning to abide in the presence of Jesus. So while I'm eating breakfast, while I'm eating breakfast at First Watch this week, I do that several times a week. Some guys come and join me. And I know Kim, she's a great waitress and she always gets me my breakfast just like I want. She heats up my mug and she gives me the special creamer and I'm kind of a high-maintenance guy. While I'm there, I also have to learn how to abide in his presence. And while I'm jumping in my car and driving with all the other madmen to town, in town to work, I have to learn in that place to abide in his presence. And when I'm answering emails or meeting with a couple or counseling someone or talking with someone in a meeting, it's in that place, not only do I need to be there, but I also have to be learning how to abide in the presence of Jesus. Whatever you do, whatever you find yourself in every day of your life, if it's bathing the kids, if it's mowing the lawn, if it's eating breakfast, if it's paying bills, if it's doing laundry, whatever you're doing, it's in that place, you can also learn to practice the presence and abide with him. Now, one that was most famous for this is Brother Lawrence, a 15th century monk monk who did not live atop a pillar. He actually worked in the kitchen. He worked by washing dishes and cleaning and he wrote many works that was compiled into a book called Practicing His Presence. And he writes this. The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in such great tranquility as, to, as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. To abide in Jesus for Brother Lawrence was to live in a constant state of awareness to God. To increasingly not let the distractions of life or even the tedious things he was doing to keep him from relishing and being in and practicing the very presence of God in that moment. We don't have to live in a monastery to experience the presence of God all the time. listening to what he's saying watching what he's doing staying connected to him it's not an instant fix or an on demand program it's not it's not fast paced and real quick release it's slow and it's not really productive There's no shortcut or life hack to jump ahead. And as Eugene Peterson says, it's really just the long obedience in the same direction. But even as we learn to live in this kind of way, practicing his presence, being in two places at once, as Brother Lawrence taught, we have to be careful not to trivialize the process not to reduce it down to just something we add to our life, like a to-do list that we might be keeping on our iPhone. We have to be careful not to make it just another feature of our multitasking life. It's not about getting things done more efficiently, it's about remaining in Him in the midst of every moment of your life. And while we can fit certain spiritual disciplines into our life. I mean, I do it. I listen to the Bible app as I'm coming into work. All right, I put on music as I'm driving somewhere. I might even have that powder room devotional that might be read at certain moments of the day. You know what I'm talking about. You all have them back there on the back of the toilet. I've seen them. We somehow think this is spending time with Jesus. I'm not sure what he thinks about that, but we try to cram everything we can into every moment we have, but abiding in him to produce spiritual fruit is not generally formed through multitasking. It doesn't hurt, but it's probably not the best. If I wanna grow in my love and intimacy with Donna, which I do, it doesn't help me to multitask when I'm with her. She doesn't enjoy that and it doesn't go well for me. (laughs) Fitting her into my schedule is not really what it means to be intimately married to her. Here, let me see if I've got some time between 10.30 and 10.45. You good? You good? I don't need to add her to my to-do list. That's not a good idea, husbands. If you're doing that... uh, Stop. (laughs) Intimacy with her only comes through long, unhurried time together. I can't schedule it or limit it or put expectations on it. I just have to be with her. There's no shortcut to a deep relationship that builds true intimacy. You can't life hack that. You have to do it. One of my favorite jazz musicians is a trumpet player. And every time I listen to him, I think, I'd like to play trumpet like that. I used to play trumpet when I was in high school. And I think, that'd be fun. But (laughs) let's get real. (laughs) I don't because I don't spend time doing it. To get that good, you have to spend time doing it. Or if I, if I watch my Peloton instructor when I'm on the bike and how disgustingly fit that he is and how unfit I am, and he is egging me on through this computer screen, which is really, um, it's like torture to me. But that's okay, he does it. And I'm looking at him thinking, boy, I wish I was as fit as he is. Come on, let's be real. I'm going to have to ride more than that one 20-minute beginner ride that I do every week. You know, that's not going to get me where he is. And yet we somehow think that having an intimate relationship with the Lord abiding with him, it can just be added on like we might plug in something into our day. I realize this is hard. But I realize that we oftentimes touch our phone according to statistics over 2,500 times a day with the average person watching an iPhone over two and a half hours a day. You're telling me you can't find 30 minutes to be with Jesus? The same is true with Jesus. If I want a relationship with my wife, I have to spend time with her. If I want a relationship with him and to abide in him, I'm gonna have to spend time with him. And it's silly to think that he's just gonna transactionally give it to me when what he wants in the first place is a relationship with me. And that's why he said to them, remain in me. I'm amused by the story about Dan Rather who was a CBS Anchorman years ago. And he was interviewing Mother Teresa. And he asked her, he said, what do you say during your prayers? And she said, I listen. And so he thought, oh, okay, well, so then it must be God doing the talking. So he said, so what does God say in your prayers? And she smiled with confidence and said, he listens. And rather was speechless and didn't know what to say. And so she helped him out and she just said, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. When was the last time you just sat with the Lord and listened like that? Not your list of prayer requests, not all your anxious thoughts, just listened to the Lord. You don't have to go to the top of a pillar to do that. I mean, you can. I bet there's a more convenient spot to do it too. The kind of fruit that we need, the fruit that remains only comes through our long, repeated, intentional times of abiding, remaining, and continuing in him. As we spend time with him, we become more like him and we do the things that he did, which is the goal to spend time with him, to become like him, and to do the things that he did. What did he do? Well, he he had spiritual practices of keeping the Sabbath and and prayer. When he would go off all night long and pray and fasting. And also times of solitude and certainly scripture. These are all things Jesus did and we should do them. Not because they're a to-do list, but because they help us remain in him. And to hear from him. And to know him. And for him to know us. And to listen to him and for him to listen to us. It's all designed to help us abide in him, especially in this culture of optimization, efficiency, productivity. It's the way forward for all of us as disciples of Christ. So here's my challenge to us. Put the phone down. Turn off the television. Close the computer. Go sit with him in silence. You're like, I don't know if I can do that. I get it. We're out of shape. Try. Try five minutes to start with. See if you can sit in stillness with him for five minutes. You might not make it before your mind goes wandering off, you know. But if you continue to do that, as if you're wanting to know him, like I want to know my wife and be with her. And it's amazing what he will do in those five minutes. It'll turn into 10. They'll grow beyond that too. Sit with him in silence. Listen to him as he listens to you. Meditate on his word. Brother John taught me how to read through the Psalms and pray them for myself. Take times to set aside meals that allow for you to more focus on him fast. Give up things that you would normally put into your body in order to say, Lord, I want to abide with you, be with you. For just as the father has loved him, he said, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Amen. Amen. My wife, Dawn, is gonna come and we're gonna pray for you after she shares a few thoughts. And then at the end of the time today, we'd be happy leaders and others to pray for you if you're in need of ministry today.
1: Corey Tim Boom defined the word abide by being present in God's presence. Hmm. And I think that's what you were describing at the end without a list, without a need. Um, without a plan. In a Bible study that Danny and I wrote years ago, um, one of the lessons was on abiding, and I was thinking through those notes today. And one of the points that we reviewed together was that the most common reason for failing to abide is that we either stop looking at Jesus or we stop believing him. Hmm. And when I pray for us today, I'm not just going to pray that you abide. I think anybody hearing the power of it in Chris's message today thinks, I want that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pray for all the things that keep us from doing that. Hmm. Um. It's important that in John 15, Jesus didn't start with your branches. He started with, I am the vine, putting the emphasis on his part. And everything that comes after that in John 15 is based on his part. It doesn't mean we get off the hook and we don't have something to do, but it's more about being than doing. There's a book called Abide by Warren. I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Wearsby, I think. And he says, God works in and we work out. As we surrender, abide, God works in. And as we obey, abide, God works out. Abiding involves keeping in fellowship so that God can work. And that's what we want and that's what we need
0: Let's pray together. I especially want to encourage you, if you're sensing a conviction even this morning, the Lord is touching you, talking to you, to really just open yourself up right now.
1: Yes.
0: Just close your eyes. Maybe you want to open your hands to receive what he would have. Don't worry about the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you. Just turn your attention to him. Listen as he listens to you. And then receive what he has for you. Receive with open hands. Let's pray.
1: Father, we're overwhelmed by your invitation to abide. The completeness of it. The surprise of it. And just like everything else that comes from you it's impossible for us without what you do. We can't just decide to abide. It takes faith. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It takes Discipline that comes from the work of the Spirit in our lives. But we are grateful that you offer it and you do what it takes. And if we open ourselves to you, you do what it takes inside of us so that we can. Father, I pray for those who are struggling either to keep looking at you or to keep believing you or maybe to believe you for the first time that what you're offering is better than anything we can get for ourselves. That abiding in you is the real life.
0: Yes, it is.
1: It's the real answer to everything that we face in life. It's the most precious thing, Hmm. but we often treat it like it's not. I pray Lord that you would bring conviction in our hearts, in any place where we've chosen something over you. Yes, Jesus. Even a method, God, a method of the word or worship or something that we think is the ticket. There isn't any method that is greater than relating to you, abiding with you, being in you. Father, show us where we are taking and accepting less Than what you have so generously offered. Mm -hmm. And help us lay it down. Yes, Lord. Help us align ourselves with the word that you've brought today. That we would first agree with you. Then secondly, believe you. And then third, let that flow over into how we think. And what we do. And that out of that place of abiding, Father, yes. we would be fruitful. Yes, Jesus. Not efficient, not productive, but truly fruitful. We are living in a starving world, huh. desperate for spiritual reality. And our lives need to make it easy for them to believe it exists. That's right. Make it so, Father. Yes, Lord.
0: Lord, we receive what you have for us. You're not only good, but you're kind to us. We're pretty feeble and weak in our efforts, and you never refuse any of them. You show us kindness and encourage us on. You bless us. You heal us. You miraculously move for us and change our circumstances, even when our effort to just be with you is so small. But it's not just designed that we could have our things taken care of and our feelings healed and or miracles done in our lives. It's so that we can be with you the withness that you've called us into, to be united with you, abiding, remaining, continuing, being rooted and grounded in your love. And I pray that that would be increasingly our story, increasingly what we are all about, that people wouldn't see us as being super efficient and productive, but fruitful. <laughs> because we remain so close to Jesus. Where else can we go? You have the words of life. Help us as a community, Lord. Help anyone that's struggling today stand against condemnation. I pray the spirit of conviction, the Holy Spirit himself, would draw us into all comfort and all wisdom and all truth. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us. We pray these things in your name.